Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And this is episode 116. Blimey. And it's quite a lot, isn't it? It is, yes. It's recorded on a lovely... It's on recorded on the longest day. <laughs> and therefore, in the background, you might be able to hear a bucolic scene of people outside <laughs> playing yeah. cricket and... Yeah, basically running around and maybe kind of breaking into the neighbours' houses or something like I'd that. I'd like to think so, yeah. yeah that, would, yeah. that would be good. Mm. Um, so we've got some plenty to talk about today. Um, we've got some questions from uh, you, the audience, uh, which have been submitted to us via Facebook and Twitter and Patreon and all that sort of stuff. But we, I guess the hot news uh, in British comedy writing circles is the ITV all-male writers rooms are not an option yeah i think this uh this whole story it got off to a, a bit of a bad start basically saskia schuster who's head of comedy at itv who and we have interviewed her on this podcast yeah. she's a very um, nice lady and she's great and she has uh committed to uh a policy of hopefully the next three or four years where uh a 50 50 policy that 50 percent of uh output itv comedy output will be written by women uh, now, in the past, there have been people who have said, "Oh, yes, we need to get more women. We need to get more of this and that." And they, they've, they've, they have. It's always been sort of uh, weaselly words, really. Mm. Saskia is taking, uh, making a lot of uh, effort to make this actually happen, and uh, inevitably, that is causing a few sort of ructions. And I, and I think this this story got off to a, a, a bad start from day one, in that uh, it was. Um, publicised as uh, ITV ban all-male writers' rooms, which is kind of one way of putting it. But actually, the main story was that ITV will be uh, hoping to get at least one woman in any writer's room at all, which, when you put it that way, doesn't sound quite as um, draconian, I think. Mm. Yeah. so that already there were a lot of people saying, oh, banning men, you know, what's going to happen next? Women's lib, they'll be burning their bras. And uh, so it did feel like a little bit of a sort of uh, conversation that we've heard a, a lot of times. And, you know, I can see there are arguments for, well, you shouldn't, um, you know, you, you shouldn't actually give people uh, more help than than other groups of people. You know, why women, whatever next? And I, I mean, I will come to that. But I think that, um, that, that the whole reason that this has come about is because uh, last year the Writers Guild, um, they spent quite a lot of money on uh, research and they did discover that something like uh, of the 100% of comedy writing, 89% of comedy writing is done by men uh 11% by women and this this is quite easy to see well actually well there are actually 50% women in britain and mm. there are only 11% of them writing um can we do something about that yes i mean so there are other other things that that sort of need saying here one i mean one on one level the ITV audience is predominantly slightly female. Um, and therefore, to have comedies, all your comedies written by men, sort of doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have any problem with them saying, can we have more comedies written by women, please? Because mm-hmm. it will possibly have a greater resonance with the audience. Not to say that a show that's had lots of resonance with female audiences is Birds of a Feather, written by 
to to uh, two old Jewish blokes yeah, who, um, who have said that uh, actually this is uh, they have decided that they will be transitioning now yeah. as a result. Of well, only you know, only one of them needs to. I don't know if they've tossed a coin for that. That's that's fair point. Um, yeah. So you well, know. Gran would be the obvious one, wouldn't it? Well, that's not for me to say. Well, just you know, Gran. Your gran, gran well, Gran. Than your marks, yes, your, that's your, right. Your gran is more. Yeah. You know, no, I can. I can. I can. I can see that. Yeah. So. Um, but so I think on on that from that point of view, you just think that's completely fine. The other thing that's sort of sometimes overlooked is it is often portrayed as self evident that that all that fifty percent of all writers should be women, and to which you want to say, well, yes, but ninety five percent of midwives are women, um, and eighty five ninety percent of nurses are women, and some jobs attract predominantly men and predominantly women, and that isn't inherent. Mm. patriarchy or sexism so this ideal of it should everything should be 50 50 i think is is kind of a bit of a it is yeah and it, and it is difficult to kind of put a scientific you know to, yeah. to, to, to sort of make it a scientific thing um i've got an interesting quote from a book that uh justin lewis and ian greaves were, uh, wrote about the, the the history of um comedy writing and they interviewed uh, gareth edwards who we know and of course we interviewed here recently mm. um and he, uh, they said that he attempted to introduce a greater gender balance in the writers' room when he was a producer of uh, Weekending, mm. and that was ba- back in the nineties. And uh, Gareth said, he said, um, the the atmosphere had been incredibly blokish, almost self congratulatory. We tried to get more female writers involved, but some of them ended up losing money because they might have to arrange childcare in order to attend writers' meetings, might not be quite as available for rewrites. So they'd give up doing the show, which was a real loss. And he says, comedy writing was, and still is to some extent, geared towards people who can afford to throw infinite amounts of time at Mm. it, which basically mostly means single young men without any commitments. And I think that is is really the issue, um, is uh, how the people are excluded um, from a job like comedy writing, which does not have hours that you can mm. sort of work around that you can just say oh well i can i mean i mean some of the time it is uh, as a freelance but i think you know you can't go into you you can't just go to the writer's room every week if you if it's the same time as when you're picking up your kids from school yeah um not that i'm saying that's just the women who do that but yeah that's that, that certainly that that was the problem that, that gareth encountered 20 odd years ago and i think and tim dawson another Friend of the show, he wrote an article for Spiked uh, online about um, this, and he's sort of saying, "Well, what you know, where do you stop? What next? Will it be uh, working class writers or uh, black writers or LGBT?" And he said, I, "You know, I, I've never needed a hand, and I've worked with funny women, and they've never needed a hand up." Um, but actually, that is the next thing is that happening is that there is actually a parliamentary. Um, cross-party uh, committee that is trying to get more working-class mm. people into the arts. And uh, I do think that is a, a problem. I, th- I think there's definitely the, the fact that most of the people who can do comedy, have got the time to do comedy, are people who can afford it. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it, it, you don't make money in comedy, even if you're absolutely brilliant. You don't start making money mm. for two or three years yeah so and even then not enough yeah um yeah that is probably the root problem amongst Mm. all all groups who feel like they're not really getting a fair crack of the whip is the system will current the system as currently configured will always favor people 
who have a bit of a financial safety net in order to pay for the inevitable initial failures mm. of a comedy career. Um, and I, I don't really know what to do about that, really. Mm. Um, so in one sense, it is more, much more systemic and sort of speaking equality into existence doesn't particularly work. But at the same time, I have no problem with ITV um, basically trying to be more proactive in this. Again, mm. bearing in mind their, their audience. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, that is a factor for me. I think uh, an experience I've had, and this is backed up and uh, other writers have, have said they've had similar experiences. You work, go into a writer's room uh, and you work with um, producers and producers say, can you, uh, who, who are all these ethnic writers? Who are all these women writers? Can you give me their names? Wow, even I've not, I've not had yeah. that. Uh, but, you know, but I know other people who have. Not, not so much, yeah. yeah. I, have a, you know, not, I haven't had a specific request for names, but mm. I have been asked, you know, where are these people? And, you know, you, the part of your job, I'd say, as a producer is to find them. Mm. And if you're not out there looking for them, and you can find them, you know, there is a whole kind of, uh, certainly in, in London and probably in most cities, there, there, there's <clears> like a, a black comedy scene. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's not difficult to find people um and in those situations they are tend to be writing for their own communities but yeah. you can always spot somebody in there who who will you know break out and can become more of a, yeah. a, a mainstream person uh i should also point out and again another uh, friend of ours andy riley mm. um great comedy writer and writes with kevin cecil well, andy uh takes he mentors a writer from um the uh, black community uh ethnic minority communities uh, every year he interviews about sort of 20 mm. or 30 writers so he is being he is proactively trying to get more yeah. uh black and ethnic minority writers in mm. into the business and and you know more of us can be doing that kind of thing yeah i think um also going back to what you were saying about well you could go out and find them obviously the most common place they're going to go and do that is the edinburgh festival but again, that comes back to the fact that an Edinburgh show is a lot of money. Yeah. Even if uh, the Free Fringe is, has put it within reach of now more people, but even so, the Free Fringe doesn't make money. Um, it means you don't lose maybe as much money, but also it means you're going to have to not work for three weeks. Well, yeah. that's a lovely idea to not work for three weeks. Um, who can afford to do that? On top of that, this year as well, um, thanks to Airbnb, um, they, uh, performers are being priced out of the uh, accommodation market. Yeah, it's horrendous. People are being asked two or three times the amount that they normally have to pay. And it's, I mean, that's, not, it's expensive at the best of times yeah. anyway. I mean, that was the main reason as to why. So I've got my show this year is called The Turbulent Priest, which is a two-man, well, one-man and one-woman show. Here you go. Um, in, the part, in, the, in A Turbulent Priest, the part of Thomas Beckett is played by a woman um and uh, partly because thomas represents the church and the church is traditionally female within the christian kind of tradition um but the main thing that put me off taking the show to the edinburgh festival was i'm gonna have to find at least four grand for a flat mm. the the show is the cheap bit um <laughs> yeah. and i could probably break even on the show or i could even make a little bit of money but it won't make enough to cover just the basic accommodation costs which mm -hmm. were not cheap 15 years ago they're even worse and now they are probably two yeah. or three times what they were mm. and so there again you know i sympathize with 
producers who are going to the Edinburgh Festival and maybe not finding different voices, but it shouldn't really be any surprise because mm. who can afford to do... You know, there are three and a half thousand shows there. There's a lot mm. to choose from, but... But there are lots of great festivals on around the year. I mean, mm. we we found when we went to Leicester, we, uh, that was a that is a great festival, and you will find a lot of new comedy, a lot of interesting comedy mm. going on there, and uh, you don't have to buy expensive accommodation yeah. for that. You know, if you're a producer and you're based in London, mm. it's a two-hour train journey of that, and so it is really worth, I think, um, producers looking beyond Edinburgh mm. uh, for their more you know people from different backgrounds but I, my, but my feeling is i'm basically very positive about it even even as a male being mm. one of the people who who will not get so much work as a result of that but that's that's fine i, I you know it's I too late for us yeah. you know oh <laughs> go on we'll be fine but yeah. also on top of everything else so the take home for any producers who might listen to this show, hello, um, is maybe you could look a bit further and wider, but also um, to people listening to the show who just think, I, I couldn't afford to do Edinburgh show, I couldn't afford to stop work in order to forge a career in comedy. It's worth thinking, well, what can you do that you could do well? That could be a YouTube video, it could be a podcast, it could be an audio project, it could actually be a funny blog, it could be something that you can do and do well that gives your writing a voice, a presence, work out what is that thing that I could do. And once you start doing it, and once you start getting good at it, get good at it first, then you can start to email producers who really are looking for new voices mm. and they don't really know where to look. So you could make their life easier and present yourself as... Um, one click away. One click away, exactly. So... Um, it may be that you want to write some short stories that are funny. It may be that you want to do uh, some some weird uh, YouTube thing. It could <clears throat> it could be whatever medium you fancy. Um, these days, a lot of very low tech stuff is affordable. You can record a podcast for virtually nothing. I mean, you could record one for actually nothing, um, but you can record one for next to nothing. Um, and he just but here's the thing. You need to write it well. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, but you can do that. Uh, you can get better at that. Mm. Um, Listen to lots of back episodes of Sitcom Geeks. For exactly. Instance. So go back, episode one, join us on Patreon. On Patreon, um, there is, you know, for a, for a, I think we're a dollar a month at the bottom level, which is not a lot of money. Um, and there's at least sort of 15 hours worth of stuff that isn't out yet. And there's more being added and we're doing a whole... Uh, uh, sitcom soup to nuts where we're just doing a, a, an audio sitcom from the ground up um, for those who would be interested um, in listening to that so hopefully there's lots of positives to take out of this kind of a bit of a hornet's nest I know we're two blokes talking about it but actually this is a wider issue than gender isn't it it's mm -hmm. about it's about access it's about money it's yeah. about a flexible um, workplace yeah. um, I would like to think that even though we are two blokes, we are we are at least a portal for people who are not necessarily two white middle class blokes, and uh, we are aware of um, the opportunities and that, that you can learn more about them from us. Yeah, and on something else, um, I'm a I'm a farmer's son. There is no history of writing comedy in my family, um, so it was just a question of liking comedy on the TV and having a go. Um, but obviously, you know, 
I'm, I'm not trying to say I haven't had any uh, head starts in that because obviously I have. So we've got some questions as well. Uh, and the first one is from uh, Paco. Paco, who is a Patreon subscriber. And um, he also enjoys the benefit of being on a private Facebook group that we have for um, Patreon subscribers. And so we talk about this sort of stuff. And Dave and I go on there, you know, most days really and chip mm. into a discussion about this or that. So that's another thing if you want to join us on Patreon. And they get to listen to us creating our own sitcom as well. Yes, exactly. Um, but what's the question? The question is, uh, well, it's about it's about semi-improvised sitcoms, which I think is probably a little bit more of, a, of an American thing than, than a British. But, I mean, uh, we do have a lot of uh, performers who who like to add add to the script. Um, they um, and, and, and Packer's question, I suppose, really is how much, as a writer, should you allow yeah. an actor to, to uh, interfere with your script? Well, there's a few things here. I mean, one is, in a way, you as... If you're a listener to this show and you want to be a writer or you are a writer, you're thinking, I have to write a script. How much should how much improvisation should I sort of bake into the script? Or I'm going to make my own, you know, YouTube sketch or sitcom or something. I'm going to work with a bunch of actors. How much should I expect them to bring to the table? What are they expecting to do? And in a world where we have much more, um, you know, previously in the 1960s, 70s and 80s, you had Galton and Simpson writing the sitcom and then you'd have actors come and perform the scripts and they would rehearse the scripts. And that's been the normal... Crazy, yeah, but it worked. But that's sort of been the normal way of doing things for the majority of, you know, of the last sort of 50 years. Mm -hmm. Since, you know, the thick of it and things like that and since the increase of writer-performer shows like Miranda and uh, Not Going Out and um, all those sorts of things and loads of stuff on BBC Two particularly and, and The Trip and all these sorts of things. You know, improv is very much, you know, part of it or the expectation of it. Mm. So it would be good for us to spend a, a minute or two just thinking yeah. about how we proceed here. I think one of the uh, issues, again, we have talked a bit about this, is uh, with the rise of the writer-performer. Uh, unless you are kind of tied in with that performer specifically, uh, I suspect that the, their, the script for that show will be the, the, the vision of that performer. And so, inevitably, they're the ones speaking the words, they, and they know the character. They're more likely to... Uh, improvise and, and and work on things as it goes along but i think if you're it's more if you are the writer and you're working with actors uh, and think of maybe some people like um armstrong and bain or simon blackwell who who write for uh mitchell and webb who mm. are both obviously very uh, proficient writers as yeah. well as brilliant performers um and so there's probably a little bit of a kind of um leeway in there and, and you know there's, there's, there's i think the important thing i suppose is the respect really yeah and as long as there is a as long as there's a respect between the writer and the performers mm. then uh i think it's feasible if the if, if you know if you've got a brilliant actor who's yeah. got an amazing mind who can come up with things that you haven't necessarily thought of um from and they, they only they could have brought that then mm. you'd be crazy to say no i'm not i'm not allowing that um so i i guess it's about 
a contract, a verbal contract. Yeah, I think respect you. is a really good way of doing, a really good way of thinking about it. So I, I know that I remember listening to, I think it was Richard Curtis talking about Black Adam, and by the fourth series, that was John Lloyd who said, "Yeah, that they were all. Everybody was a superstar." Yeah. They? They had Stephen Fry and Rowan Atkinson and Ben Elton. And yeah, they, and Hugh Laurie. They all had huge yeah. success in different places. They with with their back. own, yeah. And Fry yeah. and Laurie know, know a thing or two about writing comedy. Yeah. And so, yeah, the line was essentially Richie Curtis, after they've talked about it for ages, saying, can, can we just try it our way first? Right. You know, because like we, we, yeah. we sat and thought about this for quite a long time. Mm. And so can we just try it this way? And I think also... I mean, The Thick of It is a good example of a show which is famously improvised. Mm. Um, by the way, sorry about the background noise. I literally can't do anything about it. Um, the, the, they, they would write a scene and they might improvise it, but then they would rewrite it overnight and then they would do it again with a rewritten version. And then my understanding is, and we should talk to Will Smith about this. I'm sure he would happily talk about it. Or Simon Blackwell. Mm. Um, is they would record it again as written, the new version, but then they would say, okay, let's just record it again uh, and don't stick to the script, but we just need to start the scene here and we need to end the scene here mm. and off you go. And it wouldn't surprise me to learn that they kind of used that first take more often than not yeah. and that first version, but then used bits or moments or lines from the more free one. And occasionally the second one might turn out really nicely and that's, mm. and that's great. Um, but I think in a way what you can quickly do if you're not careful is, re is start shooting a scene that frankly isn't ready to be shot mm. and you're just not going to fix it on the day. Yeah. And I, I think uh, one of the reasons that Paco asks about this is he's referring to an article. I've, I've read similar articles uh, about the, the, the rise of the, the, the semi-improvised movie mm. and, and what tends to happen now. You've got a lot of these uh, people like um, Steve Carroll, Melissa McCarthy, all these people mm. who grew up doing improv uh, and, that, and, and they've become big movie stars. And there is a, there is a script, but there is also, you know, okay in this scene this is going to happen mm. and they just spend a day filming and they and and i mean they they because it's no longer you know film is no longer the, the ex hugely expensive uh, yeah. thing they film it all digitally so you can film hours so they film the whole day yeah. of them just improvising around and then editors work on yeah, that stuff, and so then the, the rushes the next day are the sort of best bits of that. I mean, so it sounds like a kind of editor's nightmare. Yeah, I think. And, and I, I think. I, and yeah. I don't think. I don't think a film has yet come out, a breakthrough film that has said this is a film that was made this way is fantastic. I, I, I'm not sure that. Um, well, the that the, the example happen. the example they that one might cite in this would be Spinal Tap, obviously, yeah. which is one of the greatest movies of all time, but. Mm. Um, I think it might have been when I was listening to um, the Rule of Three podcast with Jason and Joel. Right. Um, they talked to, I think it was Sue Perkins about this show. And if you don't listen to their podcast, it pains me to say it, but it's excellent. And you should go and listen to it. <laughs> um, where it's kind of more of a, they talk about a thing for quite yeah. a long time. But I think it was an observation that when you watch Spinal Tap, you go back and you realise quite how many wide shots there are mm -hmm. and quite how long the shots are and quite how much you get a sense of the scene unfolding mm -hmm. in real time with the actors. 
But then if you like watch a Will Ferrell movie where everyone's sort of trying something all the time, you get an awful lot of single shots. Mm. And the, and it feels like the movie is quite heavily assembled afterwards. And it just kind of lacks that. Because yeah. also we all know that... Um, it's not just the joke, it's the reaction to mm-hmm. the joke. It's the person next to the person. And if you've, if you've got one shots of people gurning or doing jokes or improvising, you lose that, I'd like to use the expression mise-en-scene, uh, which I think is a cinematography expression for kind yeah. of like the, you know, the overall scene that you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, you feel free to correct me on that, uh, listeners. But I think if you're just leaping from joke to joke... Uh, and routine to routine, it just becomes less than the sum total of the parts. Mm. And I think Spinal Tap is a glorious example of what you can do, but they'd really thought about it. Yeah. Spinal and had Tap. toured with Saxon, the yeah. band. Mm. They, they'd really researched it. Oh, yeah. Spinal Tap was uh, a well... Uh, it wasn't word-for-word word scripted, but it had a very strong narrative, uh, and they were aware of that. In fact, I remember going to see Christopher Guest being interviewed, uh, and, and um, I was asking about, you know, how much how much was improvised and how much was, was scripted. And he said, you know, that we knew every scene, we knew what was going to happen. Mm. Um, and very famous lines, you know, like, you know, uh, turn it up to 11 that mm. kind of thing then stonehenge being 18 yeah. inches and you know these obviously were all they, they, these lines were there already they required props yeah. and they they, they didn't just happen props yeah. and they were funny jokes and mm. they had been thought of so they're not going to ditch funny jokes um mm. and you know, if they're if they're working then then you know oh no no it's got to be improvised yeah so that uh, and of course it was there was nothing like it there had been nothing like it yeah um, so, so from that point of view as well, it was a lot of uh, people just discovering something for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I think, in a way, especially if you are a writer writing scripts, I, I'm, you know, unless you're about to shoot stuff with actors, I think you you shouldn't use the idea. Well, the actors will make it funnier on the day. Your mm. script needs to be yeah absolutely sparkling and dynamite. Mm. And and actually, even if you have if you're sending it to producers and hoping that they will fill in the blanks, they, they will not fill in the blanks. They want to see evidence of, of writing, um, of skilled comedy writing, uh, and that is consistent um, and all these sorts of things. Of course, if you're going to shoot your own sketch or YouTube sitcom or whatever like that, you know, on one level, do what you like. Mm. But I think you will find that you need a very clear idea of where everything is going Otherwise, you're just going to end up essentially rewriting the whole thing in the edit mm. with hours and hours and hours of stuff. And it isn't going to match. It isn't quite going to cut together, I don't think. But maybe it will. Yeah. And conversely, I would say, I mean, if, if you are writing something to with and you're working with actors who enjoy improvising, I think just make sure, you know, get, get a relationship with them and just say, look, I'm, you know, this is the writer. This is the idea. I, you know, if you can, if something comes to you when we're filming, that's great. You know, feel, feel free to contribute, but, you know, bear in mind that this is, that, that this is, uh, what's supposed to happen? So mm. I think, like I say, if you if you can build up that sort of respect between writer and performer, and I have worked on shows where there is no respect at all mm. between writer and performer, and it, and and it, it's it's not 
a pleasant place to be really yeah so you want you want to get that relationship if you're if you're making something you know making an online show or something um then that's uh, get get a relationship with your actors yeah yeah no it's when 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 it's when everyone's slightly shooting and creating and writing something different from each other it's just a horrible feeling and for me one of the great moments of my life was when we first started watching rushes of Bluestone 4-2, we'd started shooting. You know, the show had taken two, three years to get on. It had to be signed off by the director general. Here we all are. We've got the cast. We're starting shooting. We're finally getting some assemblies back from the editor in uh, in London, sent back out to us in South Africa. And uh, we watched it, me, Richard, the producer and the director, and we watched it and we just thought, oh, great. Yeah. It turns out we're all basically making the same show. Mm. And we I didn't know that until then. Mm. Um and that was that was a little bit of a relief because you know you still don't know if the show's going to be successful or not and some argue it wasn't even successful but oh. um but it did three series but yeah. but I meet an awful lot of people who've never heard of it. Um which is not, you know, but all I mean to say by that is it just felt like we were all making the same show yeah. and that was a happy thing and we did there was a bit of improvisation on the mo in the moment, but hardly any. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let's uh, let's move on to the next question. Then this is from Roz Hale. Roz says, "How do you get from head to page without losing the natural speech pattern?" Wow, you said that in a very uh, articulate <laughs> yeah, way. I did, didn't in, I? Articulated. In, into the microphone in oh, a yes. way that was frankly a rather unnatural <laughs> speech pattern. It rather was, was it not? Did you did you mean to do that? I didn't, but then I was thinking I I hadn't been uh, enunciating enunciating uh, that's the word I was yeah. looking for. Yes, I hadn't been enunciating very well up to that point. Well, oh my goodness, it's all gone weird, listeners. <laughs> yeah, What's going on? Yes. I'm never going to cut this together in the edit. There you go, you see, editing problems yeah. straight away. Um, thank you, Roz. Uh, another Patreon subscriber, I believe. Is that mm -hmm. right? Oh, yes. 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 Hello, yes. Roz. Um, how do you get from head to page without losing the natural speech patterns? I I don't have any great wisdom on this other than if you do hear dialogue in your head, for goodness sake, write it down. Um, and, you know, you just want to try and capture that as a way. And sometimes the example I often use is Sometimes you, um, if you look at a, a famous um, uh, picture of, of Big Ben painted by Monet at the back of the Thames, or you know what I mean, you, you see that there are lots and lots of pictures like that. And actually, there might also be lots and lots of sketches. And you see Leonardo doing lots and lots of sketches. And you just think, oh, but you can paint perfectly. Why don't you just paint perfectly? What's with all the sketches? And then after a while, you go, oh you need to do lots of hand sketches so that you get it into your head. So on one, you know, one bit of advice is essentially you need to keep writing the speeches until they feel right and sound right. Um, and, and that's fine. That's, that's part of it. That's part of the process. And also part of the process. I'm not saying the whole part, but it will, it helps once you've written your dialogue is to read it out mm. and, You'd be surprised how just like a comma here or an and there or something can just make it flow better. Um, or not a comma, actors no. don't read commas, they don't read punctuation. Yeah, okay, sorry, 
Okay. I mean, producers don't read stage directions. Yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, no one reads stage directions. Okay. But nobody ever reads punctuation. Okay. I mean, I would argue you, you can't live without it. You mm. miss it when it's gone. Mm. But apparently I'm in the minority. You've yeah. never been in the have I got news for you room when jokes are being written and arguments about co- where a comma should go. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that. Yeah. But that it partly depends. And then, yeah. you, and then you watch the chairman. And it doesn't get used. Bash, bash through the line yeah. without noting the comma and you go oh mm. what was the point of that yeah but anyway sorry ros we're, we are deviating yeah. from from the point yeah. um but yeah so uh, dave have you got any sort of hot well, that's tips? that that really i think i think what you're saying is right is that just keep writing and keep mm. writing but uh, yeah reading and, it out loud getting other people to read it yeah. really helps mm. um mm. i think you can with your hand on your heart also go through a script with a particular pass and go because sometimes I, I, I write on scripts that I read or even say on our first 10 pages podcast for, for Patreon subscribers, I say, no human being has ever said this line and that's not a good thing. Mm. You know, the yeah. idea of someone saying, well, I didn't come here to be insulted. It's like, mm. people only say yeah. that in Sketchland, really, yeah. or in, yeah. in a two Ronnie sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, or a 1970 yeah. sitcom. Or a spoof of a 1970s sitcom. I, I do likely. remember using that line in a spoof sitcom that we made 30 years ago. Probably. There we go. Yeah. Let's, um, not, let's not think back. So no, no, nothing good will no, come no, of it. That's true. Yeah. Um, and um, the um, what was I going to say? Yes. Uh, the, 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 another thing, and, and I, I'm guilty of this as the next person, is that I love this joke so much, it's staying in the script. And mm. however I try and write it, it just, I can't get it to, it sort of looks weird. And I can, I try and say it, and it's, there's too many words or it's too far, the joke's too far from the setup. And, but I love it so much, I'm not getting rid of it. And you do, you have to be a little bit ruthless yeah. and, and honest and say, I love this joke. It's not working. I'm going to have to ditch it. Yeah. And it may yet come back. And I remember, when I was pitching uh, the, the original pitching document for my sitcom called Think the Unthinkable for Radio 4 um, contained a joke which I was really proud of, um, which was when these management consultants were trying to work out solutions for London transport, uh, uh, Ryan, played by Marcus Brigstock, although I didn't know that at the time, um, somebody said um, about encouraging people to use more bicycles and this guy character said, could we get London to be mostly downhill? And that just felt like, wow, that's a funny joke. And I was, I didn't get to use that joke until episode five, where we actually had an episode about London transport. And even then I was quite surprised that it survived the writing and the rewriting, but it just had a natural rhythm to it that suited the character. But I've had other jokes where I've really clung onto them for too long and I've had to basically admit defeat and just go, this sticks out like a sore thumb. For goodness sake, cut the joke. And that a good producer or a good script editor will highlight those and will, as I often say, you know, uh, give 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 an audible voice to the voice in your head that is saying, I have to cut this, but I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing to do, I think you can do is um, cast the show in your head and you can make the casting as expensive as you like. Because, um, you know, if if you have a particular speech pattern for uh, Robert Redford or Owen Wilson or Benedict Cumberbatch or anyone you like, whatever works, you know, whatever gets you through, it could even be uh, your mum. You know, imagine your mum saying this because this this character is sort of based on that person or, you know, work out 
either who could play that part or who in real life is that person or you know how how can you how would they say the line and actually sometimes once you once the pump is primed and it starts flowing then you suddenly go oh i can now hear them talking um and, and once you get it you it tends to flow better but um you you want a speech pattern that's natural for them um even if it's not necessarily natural for you or someone else but equally it, it can't sound too it can't sound too false or made up or or annoying because it will just get annoying after a while won't it yeah mm -hmm. cool well okay. we've got we do have other questions but i think we are starting to run out of time but i think yeah. we've got time for one more yeah one more uh johnny grunwald who is another patreon subscriber uh would love to hear from you guys on whether a new british sitcom based on the seemingly mundane and exploring or stroke mocking everyday ethics and social conventions like curb and seinfeld for instance could work in the uk brackets with or without a semi-fictitious played up celebrity main character um Curb and stuff. I think a lead balloon was uh, yeah. was a little bit like that. Um, could, could there be a show now? I, I sort of think that um, Ricky Gervais just kind of yeah covers that area. Afterlife is that kind of show. It's not mm. that show, but you sense that whatever mm. he does next, which may or may not be more Afterlife. I mean, another series was commissioned, but mm. um, yeah, I think yeah. I mean, in one level, yeah. Why not? I mean, I, the thing I found about Seinfeld watching it was how British it was. Because mm. you have people who aren't particularly likeable being obsessive over little things. It just yeah. it just felt like the opposite of Friends. And Friends mm. feels achingly American. Mm. Um, and well, Seinfeld felt a little bit negative and British. Yeah. Friends friends is like sort of good time version of seinfeld really mm. isn't it and um but interestingly and this this is actually the biggest news in my household um we never mind uh, women quotas and things but uh, my uh, kids who i have never been able to get to watch an audience sitcom they love comedy they watch loads of it finally they are watching miranda oh, oh wow go, james That's, yes indeed one of the writers of the first uh, first, first two, two series, series yeah and uh um, and and that's obviously it's an audience sitcom. It's it's big. It's bold. Yeah. It's brash. It's lots of other things. But actually, uh, there's a lot of uh, the jokes in Miranda. They are very much about uh, the, the, the conventions. And, and yeah. you know, she is obviously someone who isn't conventional. And, yeah. and she comes up against the conventional yeah. the whole time. But also, she does pick up on little things that mm. you thought it was only you yeah. uh, so i think she had a thing about a warming the bed dance where she would try mm. to make the bed warmer by moving around in yeah. it or my one of my favorite ones is when she's in a hotel room mm. um and um, i was involved in the plotting of that episode and i you know in one level i sort of came up with the idea of how about she stays in a secret hotel but it's in her hometown so she has to hide this fact so that's you know that's a serviceable idea that felt you know, and new, but actually mm. Miranda herself wrote all the stuff where she's basically saying what's great about a hotel room, mm. um, which resonates with people. Most people don't stay in hotels very often. Mm. And so she talks about the excitement of staying in a hotel room and the fact that you have a kettle essentially in your bedroom yeah. and you can sort of get out of the yeah, bed. So you sort of move over from yes. the bed to the kettle in one move. One smooth it? movement yeah. or something like yeah. that. And she, um, and yeah. although it never got much of a laugh, but um, there, I always love the line yeah. where she says, I've had six baths or something yeah. like that, yeah. purely because it's just so luxurious to yeah. have that sort of thing. Yeah. 
and, and and you know words just picks up on words mm. and they're words you know I often think yeah that's a funny word and she'll just stop and say yes um, that's a funny word isn't it yes you that's know? right yes and, oh, it's gone weird now yeah, you know or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, so you do get hints of that um, and so in a way uh, Johnny I think you know the, these shows sort of already exist and if you think that you could write one well you mm. should probably write one why not yes and just be you know make sure as, as we say often you know a new show uh isn't just something that's absolutely brand new it's familiar yeah what you're, you're doing is you're taking something that's familiar and you are adding your original thing the thing we always say why me why now mm. well this is curb but it's it's me yes and it's the things that happened to me yes and it's 2019 or whatever yeah. it's not 10 years ago yeah and that's why and i i can make that work yeah and it it's curb but it's yeah. newcastle and it's 2019 yeah um and it's yeah. you know and and i'm it's, not the multi-billionaire yeah um yes. so you know the, the, i'm sure you can find find ways to do that if that's the sort of show you want to write absolutely yeah um so um we've got a few other questions which we will carry over yeah into well, we've got a question another episode yeah, we have a question from uh, Joao uh, Antonio Nacita, who is another of our uh, Patreon members, and he says he wants to know what makes a good pilot. Uh, well, um, the answer to that is, well, we're trying to find out, really, yeah. aren't we? We'll be uh, recording some more episodes of uh, Soup to Nuts, um, which is our attempt on Patreon to create our own sitcom. So do join us for that. We're, we're getting quite a, we're, we've got quite a long way now, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think we'll be writing a script for that very soon yes hopefully we should certainly get around to that mm. um so yeah we've banged on about patreon a lot in this episode sorry about that it's probably going on a little bit but hope uh, it is a great sort of community uh, to be part of and it just means that you know we we do kind of engage with that world a little bit and um and it just feels like you kind of you're not alone really mm. um so you're among you're among friends so yes yeah, that's on soup to nuts and also there's lots of um first 10 page challenges you can listen to um, and if you go to our Patreon website, you can see um, all of the um, relevant um, information about how you join and all that kind of stuff. So, and also you get free copies of our book, my book, writing that sitcom, Dave's book, um, the complete comedy writer. Yes, and how to be averagely successful at comedy. Mm. And you know, I've also I've got some uh, classes that I'm running in November, some day courses for writing for topical comedy or sitcom or stand up. And uh, you can find out about those on my website, davecohen.org.uk. Great. Um, they'll also be in the show notes as well, I think. Um, my other news is, I don't know when this goes out, but I've got my show... Um, turbulent Priest. A Turbulent Priest. A Turbulent Priest. Is on on the 4th and 5th of July in um, at Clerkenwell uh, in central London, which should be fun. And then it'll sort of tour in the UK in September, October, November. So if you look at aturbulentpriest.com, you can go and i think i'll be at pretty much all the shows so come and say hello and say you listen to sitcom geeks and you're a sitcom geek and we'll have a connection for a moment and <laughs> and a slightly awkward conversation will ensue but we'll then laugh about it almost immediately and it'll all be fine great well um thank you very much that was episode 116 and um this is what i said at the beginning yes indeed uh, so uh, <laughs> just a sign of our age more than anything else yes, isn't it? Yes. thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time thank you bye